Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Hey everybody, welcome to this week's edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. I am Otto Strong, not Aaron Berlin. We'll talk about that in a second. But what we are going to talk about on the show is Giannis Antetokounmpo's mega deal that would be 228 million dollars over five years if you're counting and we're also going to be joined later by alex shipper who is the brooklyn nets beat writer for the athletic but before we get into all that we are going to welcome in bruce bernstein he is a pure hoops media uh media's chief content officer bruce how you doing i'm doing uh, great auto and uh Thanks to Aaron for taking the week off so I can, uh, oh, no, wait, he's tied up in the back room over there. All right, Aaron, quiet down. We'll be done pretty soon here. But, but, but thanks for having me. No, Aaron couldn't be with us this week, but we miss him as always, and I'm sure he'll be back next week. So here we are. We, are with, with, we, we can see the, the start of the season. It is just around the corner, and the big domino that a lot of people are wondering, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo and his deal, $228 million over five years. What, what does that tell you? Well, first of all, uh, as somebody who hates to see the small market teams always end up getting the short end of the stick, it's very exciting and, and gratifying to see a team in Milwaukee, which is an extremely well-run organization. They've got an unbelievable arena, unbelievable practice facility. Their uh, co-owner, Mark Lazary, is a friend of our shows. He's appeared on these shows. He actually grew up in the town that I live in, West Hartford, Connecticut. So Mark's become something of a friend over the years. So I'm really happy for him that he can keep a, a player, you know, the, the, the MVP of the league, uh, locked down for a few more years in Milwaukee. And it's just a good message that Giannis is sending, which is basically, I like the team. I like the organization. I don't need New York. I don't need LA. I'm a citizen of the world at this point. Hey, and, you know, being a guy from New York, I couldn't agree with you more. I loved, I loved seeing uh, um, uh, Oklahoma City make their run. I loved, I loved uh, New Orleans when they made their run. Uh, you know, even Sacramento, for those of us who can remember the, you know, the Kings back, back in the day, look, I, I, I'm all in favor uh, of that. It just makes for a more exciting product across the board um, and couldn't, couldn't be happier for, for the organization. I sincerely believe that the reason that Giannis signed this deal was because he loves Milwaukee and he wants to stay. But the business part of my brain says He really kind of had to do this, even if down the road he feels like maybe there may be greener pastures for him elsewhere. By signing the deal now, he basically sets the team up for a harmonious season without this kind of 
cloud of uh, suspicion or whatever you want to call it hanging over the team. Like, gee, he didn't sign. He wants out. We made all these moves to keep him. And now he's dropping a turn in the punch bowl here. Uh, so I don't believe that he did do that. But I obviously, I think he wants to be there. However, as Stephen A. would say, however, uh, <laughs> he couldn't get this much money unless he signed this deal. And if he decides in a year or two years that he wants to go all James Harden on him and say, I know I've got a contract for three more years, but I don't want to be here anymore. you got to trade me. He still gets the big bucks. He didn't have to sacrifice any money. That said, I don't want to be a cynic about this. I want to be very happy for Milwaukee. I want to be happy for Giannis. I want to be happy for, for the entire organization, the fans in Milwaukee. So I say, bravo, Giannis. Good to see you uh, committing yourself to an organization that truly has embraced you and loves you. Hey, so we, we don't get a chance to, to chew it up like this, you know, on, on the air, as, the, as they say. I got to ask you about the Celtics. How you how you feeling? Um, I still don't think they're ready to win the championship. However, I do feel like I don't have any issues with Danny Ainge. I mean, the Gordon Hayward situation, I think everybody kind of understands that they probably had one too many stars, quote unquote, and to get the kind of money that Gordon got to go to Charlotte, you can absolutely you know, support that for him. Uh, I like Tristan Thompson. I think Tristan Thompson, when he eventually plays, he has uh, some sort of a leg injury right now. Tristan Thompson's exactly the kind of guy that Boston has lacked. They needed somebody who was sort of a physical presence in the middle. They don't have to run any plays for him. He'll probably get six points a game catching alley-oops from, you know, either, either uh, Tatum, who's very good as far as big-to-big passer, uh, and I think, to me, the key guy for them, I think Tatum you can sort of count on. I think Brown you can count on. Tristan, whatever he is, you're going to be able to count on. Marcus Smart you will count on. But with uh, Kemba Walker's knee, that's the one where I'm really a little bit nervous because if Kemba Walker is not at his best, this team will not reach its potential, not even close. Hey, you mentioned Marcus Smart. Just say real quick. Uh, Fort Worth Star Telegram has a uh, column on uh, now about about Marcus uh, uh, donating a, a bunch of gear to uh, to uh, a school in, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So um, just just a you know class classy guy like like we know him to be. But just 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 thought I would mention that as we head into the holidays. Marcus is a great teammate. Marcus Smart to me is the kind of guy that everybody wants as a teammate because you know. If the going ever gets tough and you're in a foxhole together, you want Marcus Smart with you in that foxhole because Marcus Smart will absolutely have your back. And the way he guards people, he is really, you know, Jason Tatum's kind of a cool customer. You know, he's kind of cool, too cool for school sometimes. Jalen Brown is an incredibly articulate and outstanding player. But Marcus Smart to me is just a dog. He's a warrior and he will do anything to win. And he's the emotional engine of that team and has been for a number of years, in my opinion. Well, with that, we're about to get into a conversation on probably one of their biggest rivals, and that will be the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, we got a guest coming up who's going to tell us about KD, Kyrie, and a possible sixth man of the year candidate coming right up. And we're about to welcome in Alex Shipper, who is the beat writer for the Brooklyn beat writer with The Athletic. Uh, Alex, how you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing well. 
Doing great. Thanks for coming. Yes, definitely. Thank you. So um, as, a, as a former, I just want to do a big picture thing. As a former you know, New Yorker uh, who was a, was a Knicks guy growing up and the Nets was, were always the redheaded stepchild, that was like my existence growing up. What could, could you kind of just kind of set the table with what we're about to see this season and what this Nets team might be doing? Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is the most anticipated season in Nets history and, and others that have been around the organization a long time, like Ian Eagle, have been saying the same thing. And, you know, I, I mean, obviously they had the two finals runs with Jason Kidd, but I think those were a lot more unexpected than, than what's coming. And, and as you said, you know, the, the Knicks have always been the, the team in the city in terms of basketball. I mean, it's the Knicks that you see in movies when the – cast goes to a game or the characters go to a game it's it's Madison Square Garden that's being used not Barclays or the Meadowlands um and now obviously the Knicks have been down for a while and this is kind of the Nets chance quote unquote to maybe capture some of their attention obviously this is coming at a time where no fans are in the stands though so it's kind of you know it, it's definitely a uh just a terrible set of circumstances in that the most anticipated season in Nets history is falling in the middle of a historic century pandemic, once in a century pandemic. So, um, I mean, all I was going to be on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving this year, and they'll go as far as they can take them. Yeah, I'm going to push back on, on one thing. So you're right with, with the Knicks and all those movies. There was one movie that, that, that uh, it's called Just Right. I don't know if you ever saw that one. No, but you're going to say like Mike for a second. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just Right with Common star, starring as a, as a, as a you know superstar net, which is kind of crazy, but uh, with Queen Latifah as as his as his love interest, uh, good film worth checking out for, for for basketball fans. But anyway, I just want to put that out there. But so so how are good things piece of going? Trivia. We got so we got Durant in town. We is on the floor. He's looking good. I mean, it's a preseason game, obviously. But what what are the you know physics before we get into the 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 mechanics of what the locker room situation is like? Just the physics of how the team is looking. Anything uh, to share there? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very deep, especially in the backcourt. You know, obviously, it's, it's Kevin and Kyrie, then DeAndre Jordan, who, who came with them. Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, um, and Joe Harris are the essentially the – I call them the leftovers from, you know, like the previous regime. They're the reasons that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving want to come. They got the Nets back to relevance, if you want to call it that. And, you know, I, I think that they're – they're a little weak at the four spot just with Kevin Durant being there for this year. You know, they don't really have much behind him. And obviously him coming off the Achilles. And then, I mean, there's, there's a ton of storylines just as to how this is going to work. I mean, they traded for Landry Shamit, who's a really good piece. You know, Torian Prince is another returnee who struggled last year, but could be benefit from the looks they'll get playing alongside Irving and Durant. And, uh, and obviously, you know, there's a Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan debate as to who should be starting. And, um, Steve Nash said today, essentially, that right now it seems like Jordan's the favorite to start. And, uh, and how that plays out along with, you know, the, the previous history of, work, of what's gone on when Kevin and Kyrie have been on previous teams, there's obviously a ton of dynamics at play. You mentioned that this team really is deep, and they really are. I mean, they've got, they've got quality depth pretty much at every position. Um, so if you just look at that and you look at kind of the track record of some of these guys – I mean, the Nets could, I'm saying could in quotes, could be the best team in the East. But is everybody going to be on the same page? I think that's one of the big questions. Yeah, you know what I mean? 
obviously, as we, we said earlier, you know, the preseason game you take with a grain of salt, but I, I thought they looked maybe better than I was expecting them to for game one, just because Kyrie and Kevin, you know, there was no selfish play, I thought, between the two of them. You, you look in how quickly they were deferring to one another. It seems like there was no, there was no ego involved there. Um, you know, I thought Spencer Dinwiddie was probably the one I wondered who would maybe fit the most. And he stuffed the stat sheet. He was their leader in assists instead of Irving. So I, I think that it, it's – I don't want to say they're ahead of schedule, but it looked better than I thought it would this early. And, again, Joe Harris kind of said today how, you know, he didn't score much in the preseason game, but it's going to be, you know, the offense starts with Durant and Irving, and then it's kind of a pecking order after that as to who tries to find their shot. So I agree. I mean, I, I did a story a few weeks ago about their rotation previews and trying to divide up all the minutes to keep everybody happy just seemed impossible. So – I think you can make a case there's a dozen guys on the roster that have a case for playing time. So, so with that, you've got a guy, Steve Nash. Um, obviously, most, most people remember him as just an all-star, you know, great point guard. I don't know if I want to ever, ever thought of him as necessarily a coach, particularly a coach for this particular set of guys. But having said all that, what, where do you, what are you seeing as, as Nash's influence to this point in keeping guys happy? I think that, that he's, he's talked a lot about relationships when it's come to this job. But, you know, I, the thing that I think has been good for him is that he hasn't really shied away from being a rookie head coach in a ridiculous situation. You know, he's been very upfront with, yeah, I'm, I'm still learning this. You know, he got asked a question after um, Sunday's game about his timeout philosophy because he, there was a couple times he could have called one and he kind of let them play and then it got worse. And then he finally called and he goes, my timeout philosophy is I'm still figuring it out, you know. There's a couple times I want to call one, then I kind of changed course and decided to let it flow, and I, and I regretted it. So I, I think that you know he definitely has Kyrie and Kevin's ear, especially Kyrie's, given his his track record as a point guard uh, during his playing career, and, uh, and and you know I mean he's got as good of a staff as you can ask around. I mean Mike D'Antoni, Jacques Vaughn, two guys that have sat in his chair as head coaches. Emu Doka is one of the nation the league's top assistants. He's interviewed for a ton of jobs already. Um, Amari Stoudemire talk about players we couldn't exactly see as coaches. You know, he's gotten a lot of good reviews from players early on. Um, so it, it seems like he's been very good at, at kind of keeping those guys engaged and, and, and getting them to listen and buy in. And, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting just to kind of see how he, he evolves this season in terms of, you know, he said he hasn't really installed much offense or defense. I think the offense kind of runs itself. The defense is really where the questions are, but um. You know, they're, they're going to be tested right off the bat with Golden State and Boston. And uh, I think we're going to learn a lot about him quickly. When Kyrie called the media, which I would imagine includes yourself and those who do your job, pawns, um, Steve kind of was asked about, hey, did you push back on Kyrie about that a little bit? And Steve said, no, you know, I'm just trying to get my footing and all that. I'm a rookie coach. And when I heard that, I said, hmm. I'm wondering, is that now going to be Kyrie's cue to keep challenging this guy to see to you know see how much he can get away with? You know, hey rookie coach, what, you know, um, what do you think? I mean, is Steve is, was that really the right thing for him to say? And and will he sort of make the course correction and and make it clear that I may be a rookie coach, but I'm no rookie. I think it's a good point because. You know, I, and I put this in my story yesterday after Kyrie talked to us. I was not around to cover him, but from everyone I've talked to, Steve Nash was revered by the media as a player. I, I'm told he was very accessible. He stayed after if you had an extra question. He was, he was always around if you needed him. 
again, it's a bit of a different era. And obviously he, you know, Twitter and social media and everything wasn't as big of a thing as he, he was kind of exiting his career. But um, I, I kind of put in my story that, you know, he had said, you know, there's a couple of times that he said, you mentioned the rookie coach line, you know, um, I remember asking him, you know, do you have a, like an offensive and a defensive coordinator? He said, yeah. You know, Mike D'Antoni's in charge of the offense, Jacques, the defense. If I, you know, if I wasn't a rookie coach, I probably wouldn't do it that way, but I feel like I needed, needed to. And, and he said again yesterday with Kyrie, you know, I, I stayed out of it. I'm trying to pick my spots. I'm trying to learn this job, and I felt like I could use my time better elsewhere. And, and I thought, you know, touching on his, his time as a player, you know, I, I kind of thought that that would be something where he maybe could have been better involved with just because him saying, you know, look, I, I made myself accessible to these guys. It did me some favors. I, I kind of thought that given his track record with the media as a player, that was maybe a situation where he could have done a 180 on just because they, they do have different views on it. And maybe he would have been able to kind of get him to meet in the middle or, or just kind of see the other side of it. And, and also to that, you know, Steve Nash in his retirement time was commentating some soccer games. So he sat in not, not exactly my shoes, but, you know, kind of, kind of the other side of the job for a little bit. So that was a situation where I kind of thought it was interesting that he, he said he was picking his spots, but on paper and what we know about him, you couldn't make a case he could have done more there for sure. This is a, you know, an interesting uh, Eastern Conference that we've got. I mean, you, you could make the case that um, the last 20 years, this may be the deepest Eastern Conference you know, that we've seen. Which, you know, given that LeBron is now obviously in the West, you know, season two, um, you've got you know, Boston you know, just you know, coming back. Uh, more experience with those guys, Philadelphia retooled, um, and obviously Miami now coming off the of finals. So how, how are you seeing the East breaking down, and how, where are you thinking the Nets will – where do they fit in into that hierarchy? Yeah, I have them definitely in the top three. You know, it's, it's interesting because we've talked a lot about depth, and obviously I look at Milwaukee as kind of trading away their depth for Drew Holiday. Um, Toronto's interesting. Obviously, Serge Ibaka had a great year with them, and, you know, obviously – and Pascal Siakam stepped up in light of – Kawhi Leonard's departure and and they have so many young guys I kind of wonder if they have another one ready to step in for for Ibaka's departure and and them retaining Fred Van Vliet's huge but I kind of want to see what they look like with with losing such a key guy like that and Boston obviously they've done some interesting stuff by adding Tristan Thompson I think was a nice piece off their bench and um, you know bringing back Kemba Jalen and and Jason is what their bread and butter is going to be I, you know, the, the ones I kind of wonder about a little bit, Miami, uh, I'm curious if they – I mean, I love Jimmy Butler. I, I, I'm, he's the last guy I'd sleep on. You know, what, where do they kind of fit into this? And, and then even as you kind of mentioned, you know, Philly, Indiana, some of these other teams, you know, what, what do they look like? And, and some people think Indiana's going to regress in Nate Mc, uh, with Nate McMillan gone. Does, is there a team that kind of takes their place? So I think the Nets are definitely right up there with Milwaukee as the, the conference contenders. But – I don't say that as a knock to Miami or Boston by any means. That's why I'm curious to see how that, how everything goes next Friday on, on Christmas with Nets and Celtics. When I was reading some of Kyrie's recent quotes, <laughs> he's, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Celtics fan. I'll admit that up front. So I'm predisposed to sort of take everything he says with a little bit of a grain of salt. I think one of the reasons that so many Boston fans dislike him isn't so much because he left it's because he showed up at a season ticket event and he said, I'm going to stay here if you guys will have me. So I think that's really where some of the anger towards him lies. But one of the quotes that he said was he describes himself as an artist. And I'm wondering, is that part of his problem? 
is that he is not an artist. He's a professional athlete who's supposed to have a competitive heart as opposed to an artist drawing on a canvas or, you know, creating something as opposed to in almost kind of a singular way. I'm an artist as opposed to I am a teammate. I am an athlete. I am a competitor. I'm wondering if deep down in his little psyche, if that's something that kind of holds him back in some ways. You know, it's funny, Bruce, you've mentioned the prawns comment and you've mentioned the, um, the artist comment and my friends from high school that regularly follow my work. I've had the most fun busting my chops about both of those things. I've gotten uh, pictures of myself on a pawn and I've gotten, uh, they, they've asked me if I, uh, they, they said I, I thought I covered basketball players and not artists. So I guess you, you and I have mutual friends I didn't know about, but um, <laughs> um, I no. do not consider you a pawn just so. Yeah, I, I appreciate probably consider, I, I consider you more of an artist actually, but go ahead. I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I definitely, you know, whenever he deals with us, it, it seems like, and he's been, I, I don't want to speak for all the beat writers, but we've gotten along with him fine since he's come here. I, I see that. I say that truthfully, you know, it seems like, you know, if you remember in January, he made the comment about there being a glaring difference on the roster between what they need to be a contender and what, and, you know, it, it seems like, um, you know, he, he puts his foot in his mouth. He comes to us and he acts very professional and, and, you know, tries to clear the air and everything. And then we're kind of doing this whole thing over, you know, a few months later. He, he definitely, you know, seems to operate on a higher plane of sorts. And, you know, when he answers some of our questions, he gets very philosophical and, you know, sounds kind of takes it on a tangent. It really maybe didn't need to go on. And I think that that's just kind of how he is and, and how he operates. So with respect to, uh, you know, KD now, just shifting over him a little bit, uh, you know, there's obviously there was, was talk when he was in the Bay Area about, you know, who, whose team is going to be. And I kind of, you know, wonder the, the, to a degree the same thing. Given what we heard Kyrie talk about, how he described his relationship with LeBron. And I you just, I mean, I think a lot of people are just kind of waiting for that thing to rear its head. And I'm wondering what you felt like, um, you know, if that's something that everyone's kind of waiting for cringing that they don't hear but I honestly put Katie and Kyrie in the same in the same boat with that I mean you know Kevin Durant left Oklahoma City um going to Golden State thinking that you know joining that team with Steph Curry would be what he needs to put himself over the edge with LeBron they won but he didn't really get fulfillment out of it so now he's going somewhere where he hopes to be more appreciated and um and and not maybe share the stage as much with a megastar like Steph Curry Kyrie wanted out of Cleveland because LeBron's shadow goes to Boston where he realized he couldn't be the guy on a young team and, and kind of had a, a come to Jesus moment where, you know, he talked about apologizing to LeBron for, for being the young immature guy that didn't get it. And, and he understands where he's coming from now. And now he comes home to New York kind of seeking the same thing I felt like Kevin was. So I think they're very similar in that they've had an interesting history at their past stops and, you know, despite winning a title, it wasn't enough for them in terms of how they were perceived. And, and now they're kind of teaming up to share the stage and hope that on a team or an organization without the history of the Celtics or the recent history of the Warriors, that, you know, a t a bringing a title here would, would maybe kind of amend a lot of that. In reading some of the, uh, you know, content about the Nets from yourself and, and others, it seems that Kyrie sees himself as KD's equal and Probably a lot of fans do too. I'm not sure if other players do or not. So I guess I would ask you, okay, KD's got a couple chips. He was finals MVP twice. Kyrie's got one. So who has more to prove in Brooklyn, KD or Kyrie? It's a really good question. I don't know if there's a, there's a 
singular answer for it. You know, Kevin Durant's coming off an Achilles injury that's been very unkind to, to those that have suffered it. I mean, Dominique Wilkins is the only example I have as, as a uh, player that came all the way back from it. And, um, and then you look at what's happened to Clay Thompson lately and DeMarcus Cousins, and, and I feel like you can't help but worry a little bit about what, what, you know, the, the worst-case scenario. And, I, I mean, Kyrie, you can make a ton of cases for after how it ended in Boston and, and drew your ire, Bruce, um, you know, that he, he has something to prove to those that, you know, to those that he, he kind of spurned up there and that proven that this was the right move for him. They definitely both have a lot to prove in their own ways. And obviously, you know, ju- this justifying Kevin leaving Golden State. So I, I don't really know if, there, if one answer tops the other. I think you can make a lot of cases for either guy. One final, where do you see, just a quick, quick answer, where do you see the Nets finishing? How far are they going to go? I think it's a fair, you know, it's tough without seeing them in the regular season, kind of how everyone else stacks up. I think that, the, that it's a successful season if they make the Eastern Conference Finals. This is a crazy season with COVID, reduced games. Kevin's going to be kicking off some rust probably. Same with Kyrie. And I, they're going to have growing pains. I think if they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, that's a very good benchmark for them. They very well could win the whole thing and, and go to the – or just win the conference and uh, top Milwaukee. But right now, I, I think – that's where the expectation is to make the conference finals. And then, you know, let's kind of see how the games go before adjusting that. All right, Alex, we lied. We do have one more question for you. Uh, because our producer, Scott Turk, is a Mich- Scott Turkin is a Michigan man. And you can't see it probably, but over my shoulder, I have my I Michigan see, cap do. hanging back. You got a Baylor cap too, I see. Yeah, one of our other shows is co-hosted by King McClure, who played for Baylor. So oh, when King that. misses shows and I fill in for him, I always wear my Baylor hat in order to honor King. Uh, but anyway, so so Turk is a Michigan guy. I'm a Michigan fan. And Brooklyn's Michigan man is Karis LeVert. And last year when KD and Kyrie were not uh, participating in the bubble, LeVert really was one of the breakout performers of the bubble and played extremely well. But on a team with a ball-dominant Kyrie and a scoring machine KD, what's, what's, what's going to be there for Karis LeVert? I mean, does he, have, does he have the right mindset to kind of operate on the fringes of those two guys and, and, and play his best ball successfully, you know, in a team uh, setup? Yeah, you know, we talked to him today. Steve Nash said the other day that he kind of looks at Karis as a Manu Ginobili on this team and that he's an all-star caliber player and, and would start on any team in the league, but you know, bringing him off the bench where, as you said, he was at his best in the bubble as the primary ball handler. And obviously Kyrie and KD are very ball dominant players. The more I think about it, the better I think he'd be served coming off the bench just because he'd be the guy on the second unit, which would allow him to be at his best and play to his skill set. Um, you know, he, he shot 36% from three last season, which was a career high. And it isn't a bad number, but and maybe it goes up, but, you know, his – his game isn't really being a spot-up shooter the way Joe Harris is a nice compliment to Kevin and Kyrie and, and some of the other guys they have. So I think that – I think he's going to be very interesting on a number of notes because, one, he's injury-prone, and if they were to trade for another star, obviously he's going to be the biggest name involved in the deal. You know, the Nets could have maybe landed Drew Holiday or another guy by throwing him into a package, but the Katie and Kyrie are kind of betting on him as emerging as this third star. So can he, do, can he stay healthy and then can he play to that level of expectation? 
while not well, you know, again, he's not a ball, he's ball dominant like the other two. So I really like Steve's idea of bringing him off the bench and then giving him some run with the starters and putting him in a closing lineup because he'd be at his best offensively running the second unit. And with the shooters around him, he'd be able to get a lot of assists and drive to the basket. He'd still have Jared Allen for pick and roll. Um, he's, he's one of the better defenders, which would be good in the closing lineup because he could score for you and, and maybe get a stop. And then see what he does again with the other guys out there and the star players and, and how he plays off them is kind of an experiment of sorts. So I, the, the more and more I think about it, I think there's a really strong case to make for him um, in that Manu Ginobili six-man type role. He could be a six-man of the year candidate with the numbers he could put up off the bench. Well, everybody, watch for Brooklyn to do big things this year. Uh, this is, uh, was Alan Schiffer, a beat uh, reporter for the, uh, for the Athletic with the, covering the Nets. Uh, thank you for, uh, for taking some time to talk to us about the upcoming season and uh, hope, hope, uh, hope all things go well for you. Yes, thanks for having me, guys. Best of luck with the impending blizzard we all have to deal with. <laughs> that was dope. Thank you so much to Alex Schiffer of The Athletic, the Nets beat writer, for joining Otto and myself this week. Thank you also to the great Scott Turkin, who produces this show, and also to our incredible editor, Tom Phillip, who makes us all look and sound as good as humanly possible. Please check out all of the Pure Hoops Media shows. This week, the Mike Wise Show has Dallas Mavericks legend Derek Harper, who dishes not only on the team, but also some great New York Knicks memories, Otto, from the 1994 finals, including an unbelievable story about Pat Riley after game seven. Full court with Kara Kay and Jenny Fisher has our teammate Monica McNutt this week talking some ACC women's hoop. Uh, we, of course, here, Catch and Shoot 2.0. We'll be back here with Aaron and Otto next Wednesday. Thursday, it's Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with King McClure and Monica McNutt, the aforementioned. And they will have Ava Wallace of the Washington Post, who covers the Wizards. And, of course, B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast. Drops every Friday from Pure Hoops Media. Hey, everybody. We are at a bittersweet time in the, in the nation here. Uh, obviously, the holidays are upon us, and that is exciting. However, we have also crossed the 300,000 uh, count in terms of deaths uh, from coronavirus, which is extremely sobering. And on the flip side, we do have a vaccine as shots are starting to go into the arms of people. However, it is not over. The fight is not over. Please continue to wear your mask, social distance, uh, and just be, you know, be kind to one another as we uh, uh, try to make the best of this situation. Peace and love to all. Take care. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.